For those of you guys that don't know me, my name is James. I am the pastor over this young adults ministry. Um, we're going through a series called Living Victoriously, and it is just the mindset, the, the idea that we're called to this world and not just to be expectant for what comes after, that there's actually a responsibility here while we're on this earth living and breathing and knowing that God calls us to live in a specific way, not to just get through it, but actually to thrive in it for his kingdom and, and that there's a, there's a kingdom character, there's characteristics that we should have as Christians living in this world that points people back to Jesus by the way that we respond, by the way that we interact, by the way that we love and encourage and strengthen and even talk about truth. We talk about hard things. We talk about prayer. But something that is near and dear to my heart is missions. I grew up in a home where we had a, a, a mission in Uganda. Um, some of you guys know that. My, my parents have been running a, a ministry called Bayamba for almost 20 years now. And I grew up with Ugandans in my home and going over to Uganda and so missions and going um, to the outer parts of the world, something that is completely different than, than what I was born into has always been a part of my story and something that the Lord has put on my heart. And so whenever we have missionaries in town and, and we see uh, fruit in what they're doing, we want to bring attention to that. And so tonight, just for uh, the beginning part of this service, we're going to give attention. Um, it's Gentile and Victoria and their son Michael are here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them to come up or Gentile to come up. He is a pastor out of a little country called Albania, which I had to be shown on a map where it was, just being candid. But I'm very blessed to have them here and they're going to share a little bit about their heart and what they're doing in another country across the world for the kingdom. Amen? So awesome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. So my name is Gentile. I know guys every time when I say to people, my name is Gentile, it's difficult for them to say Gentile, Jake, Gentile. You can call me Jake, I will be not offended. And my wife, Victoria, she's from California. You can. Hello, my name is Victoria. I'm from Northern California. Um, and it's been a few years since I've come to this group because I've been living in Albania as a missionary. So, thank you guys for the opportunity to be with you. Here I want to share a little bit about my testimony. I come from the Muslim country and from my Muslim family. I think you can see from my face. All those the people when I go to Europe say, are you Christian? Really, you look like from Arabia or somewhere there. So when I was eight, nine years old, my parents told me, you should go in the mosque to know more about your faith, about more your, yeah, more your God. So I went there and for three years, four years, I was learning about my faith many things. But one day, someone came in my village and was challenged me to my faith. It was a missionary from Oregon, from America. So when I heard someone was sharing the gospel in my village, I said, wow, he's American. He came here to share the gospel. He's not afraid. So I was thinking maybe it's any Marines, do you know, like Pastor James, like the big guy sharing the gospel, was not afraid. I saw was a short guy there. He was sharing the gospel with the people there. He was not afraid. So today I understand God is not looking. You are big, you are short. God is looking your heart. If you have God with you, you are like, you know, people say like a lion. You have so much power inside you and you are not afraid. So first time I was debate with him, sharing about our religions, our faith. And I was winning the debate. I was feeling so proud for myself. Wow. I win the debate. I just beat the Christian guy about the faith. He was coming every week 
And I started to love this thing, like winning the debate, talking with him. In that time, I had uh, so many problems at my home. My mom was very sick, was ready to die. My dad was very angry with us because we did have so much money to go to the doctors and everything was very bad at my home. One day I was talking to my mom and she told me, hey, my son, I'm going to die, but I want for your dad really to be married and someone to care for you guys. Can you imagine that moment? I was just 13. I was just crying and crying so much. I went in my bedroom and I said, God, I don't deserve this. Like, did I do something wrong? I don't know what is happening to my family. It's too much for me, this. And this moment I was looking close with me was the Bible and Quran, which the missionary gave me to see some verses. I said, God, I want to pray, but I don't know. I feel so confused this moment. And I took one hand, I took Quran, one hand, I took the Bible. And I said, God, in this night, in this day, I want for you to come at my family and help me with all the problems. And I said, if you are the God of the Bible, please help me now. If you are the God of the Quran, please help me now because I need you now. I just pray nothing happened. For two years, three years, was still like with the same problems at my home. One day the missionary asked me, do you want to come with the, we have a camp with the youth. And he said, do you want to come? I said, I don't know to come or no. He said, why? I don't know the Christian youth, I don't like them. He said, why? I don't know, they are so weird, like hallelujah, hallelujah. They are not serious, like praying and worship God like us in the mosque, I say. I say, but you just come. If you feel bored, I can take you and go at home again. I went there, and everyone was so close with me, hugging me, stay close. And I say, maybe the missionary told them to be close with me so they can show like how good it is to be Christian. So I was confused. Oh, no, no, I don't accept this. But day by day, I was standing there with them. I was looking. They had really so much joy so much peace, so much love. And I say, hey, gentle, this is what you need in your heart. It's like something like that is missing you. In the end of the camp, I remember the leader told me, uh, told everyone, like, is someone here uh, who is ready to accept Jesus? I don't know what happened. I was first. And I was thinking, why? Like, I should change. What is this? I put my hands up. And he say, come in the stage. Let's pray and you can accept Jesus. I remember I was walking to the stage and I said, hey, gentle, you have so many problems. If Jesus is not God, he's not going to help you. Just try. Maybe he's God, you don't know. So I went there and I said, God, I accept you today in my heart. Come and lead my life. I surrender because I don't have more energy, more power to go in all these things. Please come in my life. And I accept you like the Savior and my God, Jesus. And after that, the leader told me, we have a letter here, and you'll write everything what separated you from God, all the sins. I said, all the sin? He said, yeah, but all the sin. I don't know, to share all the sin? He said, no one will see, don't worry. Just you can share everything with God, and the end we are putting in the fire. So I was sharing everything what was separating me from God and all the sins, and I was just crying and crying, and I was not be strong emotionally. And I was, I remember, I was cleaning my tears and here was the girls and I was so shy. No, this is like, why? I should cry in the front of the girls. It's like, after that, I remember I went at home. I slept in the morning. When I wake up, I was on the bed. I opened my eyes and I was feeling something like pressure inside me. So what is this? It was so much joy. 
And I say, what is this? I was comparing it to my mind. Like, do I have so much money on my pocket? I took my pants and I say, no, I don't have money. I closed my eyes and I was thinking, is the first day going in the school? Because usually I was so happy, like the first day of the school. I say, no, it's not the first day going to school. And I say, oh no, maybe I'm in a relationship with a girl. Like, I'm in love with a girl. And I say, no, I have some friends, but I'm not in love with a girl. In the end, I went outside in the garden. I saw the trees, I wanted to hug all the trees. I saw my parents, I went to hug them and I said, Gentil, maybe you had so many problems and now you are crazy. But again, I was talking with myself, I said, I don't think the crazy people feel like me. And this moment I was, okay, I'll call the missionary. I called him and I said, I'm feeling weird. He said, what do you mean? I said, I just prayed yesterday, I'm feeling weird today. He said, what do you mean? I said, I want to fly. I don't know. I have so much joy. I have so much peace inside me. Like, it's so much. He said, don't worry. It's just Holy Spirit inside you. It was the first time, like, <laughs> Holy Spirit inside me. I didn't know what, what was that. After that, many problems. I'll go more fast now to finish all my testimony. I had so many problems at my home. I was praying for my mom. I said, you should believe in Jesus. I accept Jesus. She said, don't teach me me and my dad what to do when you accept jesus we didn't say anything to you you change your faith we didn't say anything now don't teach us what to do with our life and i was so sad for them because i was looking she stopped going to the doctors she was going some uh, we call holy place which are some people they have a power but today i understand they have a power from the demons so they can make you to feel like better but they can heal you because you know just god can heal you but she was going there, she was, uh, she was spending money there. I said, please don't go there. She didn't listen. After six months, I was just praying for all my family. After six months, I said, okay, I was ready to have a like, uh, challenge for my mom. I said, if she's from God, call her and say, I'm coming with my second son. I said, are you going there? She said, after two days, I'm going. I said, okay, call the lady. She called her, she said... Hello, how are you? I'm coming with my second son. After two days, what you told me? She said, don't come more at my home. My mom said, why? She said, you are not for me. You are not more for me. Just please don't come at my home. She was afraid because I was ready to go there and fight like spiritually. Because I was looking in the Bible, all this story, and I was looking like when the demons was looking, Jesus was so afraid, you know? And I was ready to go there and uh, fight spiritually, like pray, when she was doing these things to my mom. But she didn't accept. After that, at my home, one day I was just standing in the front of the door. I would do some stretching like that. I was touching something I saw. It was the letter, like the pyramid. I opened, and there was the curse for my family. And I saw the curse was with verses from Quran. I said, Mom, look, Quran is not from God. Because God can use the verses to curse our family, to have all these problems. After that, my mom in the toilet was cleaning, in the wall found another curtain, which is like popular there, in the Muslim's uh, place, was the snake skin, snake skin with some matches together. After that, we put outside, after that, my mom was coming in the Bible study, she accepted Jesus. She is good now, all her body was healing, I don't know what happened, but just her body was healing. After that, I had a debate with my old brother, and I said, you should accept Jesus. What, 
look what he did in our family. He was still going to the mosque. One day he said, okay, I'll come in the, in the church to see what is happening there. I said, okay, come. He came with the youth meeting and he saw exactly what I saw to, you, to the youth. Like so much joy, so much peace. And he was standing close with, with him and he was thinking the same thing what I was before. Like Gentile told them to be close with me so they can show me like how good it's like to be Christian. But he was coming every week after he accepted Jesus. And after he was sharing the gospel with another girl, with his girlfriend, she was the niece of the imam. Imam is the pastor, like the pastor in the mosque. She accepted Jesus, they married together, now they have a daughter. So in my family, I believe in Jesus, my mom, my old brother, and my sister-in-law. So I'm praying more for my dad and for my younger brother. So this is... All my testimony and 2017, the missionary, he needed to leave from the country and to come uh, here in America because his wife had some physical things like pain. And God was calling me to be there and to lead the church. And I say, God, I'm just 22. When I was praying, I say, God, he's, he told me to lead the church, but I'm just 22. What to do with the church? But do you know when... Uh, God was calling Moses. Moses said, hey, my brother is better than me. Why you choose me? God said, no, I want you. So this is what I was feeling. Okay, God wants for me. And now I'm leading the church there for seven, almost seven years. I'm sorry for my wife because she needed to stay here. She can, she can share something like how we meet together. She's another gift from God. And we have our son there, Michael. Thank you, guys. Um, I can just share short of how we met. Um, so in 2021, I went to a discipleship training school with YWAM. It's Youth with a Mission. And this was in Northern California. And it's a five-month um, course, three months of lecture and two months of a mission trip. And my mission trip was in Albania. Um, before going there, I had never heard of Albania before, actually. <laughs> I didn't know where it was on the map, but God had big plans for me. And after the first day of being there, I felt like in my heart, like I was home. I'd never been to this country before, but I just knew that this is where God wanted me to serve, wanted me to live. Like I felt more at home there than here. And I've been, I was born and raised here in California. Um... And when I was there on the mission trip, I, my group led a short, uh, like, VBS Saturday program in his church in the village. And this is how I met him. We were in his village for about two hours and connected, and we started dating a few months later. And then I went back to Albania for Bible school for six months. And we continued dating and got engaged then, and then got married in May of 22 here in America. And then our little gift over there who's sleeping, <laughs> Michael, he came in May of 2023. And now we live in Albania together. After we got married, we both moved there, and we serve in the church. Um, I help with the children's programs, with the girls' Bible study, and I cook for an elderly man in our village who's very poor. Um, so we help him with food, and I help support our family. <laughs> and, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing when God 
when you follow God's plan for your life and you don't try and control the, the things that, that you want. <laughs> Also, I want to encourage many you guys, you are younger like us, we are not more older than you guys, but I want to encourage many you, like, share the gospel. But first, stay strong in, uh, in relationship with God, because if you don't stay strong, you can't share the gospel. Because the people don't see, like, just your words, but they see, like, your acts, your life, and everything. So don't be afraid, because I say, the guy from Oregon, like, who knows, someone just from Oregon shared the gospel. Now, all the villages there are coming to God, like, to know God. It's, like, amazing. So share the gospel. Don't be afraid. God is with you, and who can be, like, who can beat you, because God is with you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So just real quick, guys, um, if you guys want to pray for them, if you want to get to know them, they're going to be here after service. Uh, they would welcome the fellowship and the community, but uh, they have these cards. It even has a map on the back to show you where Albania is. It's pretty fantastic. I even had to ask. I'm like, is it? No, not even close. Um, but the Lord's doing a work there. The Lord is at work all over the world, and we don't even know most of what the Lord is doing around the world. But it's really cool to see people like this that just said yes to the Lord. And God is working mightily through them and in them. And it's amazing what God can do with your yes. It's amazing what he can do when you just say, Lord, I surrender my life unto you, and I'm just going to go. And this is exactly the fruit of that. And so if you guys want to get to know them, if you want to pray for them, if you want to, you guys have a, like a prayer chain mm -hmm. where you send out. Um, yeah, my, my contact email is, is on the prayer card. Um, so if you want to receive monthly or every other month, uh, updates and information about our ministries, you can just send me your email and I will add you to the list. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and we'll talk to you guys after. Awesome. I love that. And Gentile even, even talked specifically what we went over last week. And for those of you guys that were here, um, we talked about actions and we talked about words. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon that has ever been told. I'm totally butchering it because I'm talking about it. But when Jesus gave it, it was the best sermon that had ever been given. And people literally stood in their, 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 their tracks and they didn't have an idea. They didn't have comprehension of what was happening because it was unlike anything they had heard or seen or been around, there was, there was power in what he was saying because it was, he was talking about elements of a kingdom in which they had never experienced before. And it wasn't, it wasn't just this, this, this archaic thing about sacrifices. or in, in, It wasn't talking with no power, right? Like Jesus had power when he spoke. And, and what the encouragement was and what we've been going over is that this, this call to a kingdom ethic, because it's not... Salvation is everything. It is, it is the, the foundation of what we're about, right? Like this is our, our, our introduction to the Holy Spirit and to our relationship with Jesus. It comes through salvation. But to stop at salvation is to rob yourself of the blessing which God wants to do in and through your life, right? It's not just about receiving the Lord. It's about acting. It's about doing. It's about serving your neighbor and, and, and your friends and your enemies and your coworkers and the students and your boss and, and the people around you, both the ones that you're comfortable with and the ones that you're not comfortable with. And, and last week we talked about how our, our actions matter and our words matter and they're linked to our testimony. Because the way that we respond in a hard season of our life directly points people back to who we belong to. 
We respond through hardship. We give glory to Jesus and I'm going to worship no matter what happens. People are going to question, what the heck is wrong with you? What is different about you? Why do you react differently? You're not reacting harshly. You're not cursing the sky and, and wanting everything around you to burn. No, no, no. You're actually more loving than when you started. You're going through a travesty right now and you're looking to serve other people. What is wrong with you? I said, the only thing right about me is Jesus and Christ crucified in my life. And then taking that a step further and recognizing as, as Christian believers, as we're in the workplace, we're with our friends, we're with the barista at the coffee shop, we're in the Albertsons talking to the cashier, like our words and what we say is important. What we agree to doing and not doing is important. Showing up, if we're going to say that we're going to show up, is important. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Like, you don't want to be a Christian that is just a total flake, right? You might be speaking truth to your friends or to your coworker, but if you're a total flake and they can't trust you, you can't show up when you say that you're going to show up, you can't, you can't be honest with where you're at in your life, where's the power of the testimony of Christ in your life? That doesn't seem like a transformed life. And guys, I'm, 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 I'm coming from a place of knowing that I do this too. And every time I'm preaching, I'm telling you, I struggle with these things. Tonight, we're getting into judging. I struggle with judging people. Anybody there with me? <laughs> you just look at people and you're like, heathen. Like, you're just like, sinner. <laughs> you look at their Instagram like, wow, they really love Jesus. Right? Like, and you're just like, whoa, casting stones, casting stones. Instead of casting seeds. Instead of being patient. Instead of being loving and having an understanding. And there's an anger that, that can grow in us because we come to a place where we think that we're righteous on our own accord. We think that we're righteous on our own feet. We know better. We've achieved the ability to see better and higher than everyone else around us. You ever been there? And you just look down and you cut down. And then you find yourself completely alone because no one wants to be around you. And you're like, where did my friends go? Where did the people I loved go? Well, you hurt. You hurt them. You were visceral. You responded in such a way that didn't reflect Christ, it reflected your own sin. I've been there. I've done that. I've lost friends. But the thing is, guys, there's no situation, no relationship that is beyond hope and reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says that we have been given, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation because we have been reconciled into the Father through the Son. We are put on this planet to build bridges, not burn them down. So tonight, guys, we're going to be continuing our study. We're going to be in Matthew 7. We're jumping a little bit ahead because in the beginning of this year, I was directly in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We went straight into Matthew 6, and then we went to... Uh, I'm all over the place, guys. This is very uncharacteristic for me, if you guys know me. We're, we're jumping through, but, but we're still going exegetically. So we're going to be in Matthew 7. Elijah is passing out Bibles tonight. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Jumping directly into the Sermon on the Mount. We want to hear from the Lord. We want to be stretched by the Lord. We want to be encouraged. Maybe we just want to figure out what the Lord is doing, if he's even real tonight. I, t I told people this last week that, that the mere fact that you're here, the mere fact that you're listening, 
is evidence that God is after you and he wants you and he's passionate about you and he loves you. And there's a plan for your life. There's a purpose for your life and recognize that you are not on accident. It's amazing. Like it is not a boring life when you say yes to Jesus. Amen. Victoria is the testament to that. Gentile is a testament to that. When you say yes to Jesus, God's going to do things that make you uncomfortable, but he's going to do great and mighty things for his own glory. And he wants to do that in and through you too. I said it before and I say it again. You say yes to Jesus, buckle up and get ready because God's going to do some awesome things and you're going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Amen? In a good way. I'm all about getting stretched this year. I personally want to be stretched. I want to see the Lord move in mighty ways, both in and through this ministry, guys. I think that there's a calling on these, everyone in this room. There's an importance of, to your life. There's value to your life. Satan wants to tell you that you are worthless. I'm here to tell you tonight that you have value. If you did not have value, God the Father would not have sent his son to die for you. Amen? So if you guys want to stand for the reading of the word, we'll read it, we'll pray over it, we'll get into it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. This is a world favorite for those who are not believers. They just throw it in our face all the time. Judge not that you be not judged. You ever heard that before? You get in an argument with someone that doesn't know the Lord? <laughs> Judge not that you might not be judged, right? That's what Jesus said. Verse two, for with that judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck that is from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will clearly see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you that if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law of the prophets and the prophets. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many that go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few that find it. I think that's where we'll end tonight. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you for the things that you're in, doing in and through this ministry, and, and the things that you're doing around the world that we know nothing about. It's so encouraging to hear from a, a couple in your ministry that are, that are working for your kingdom across the world, Lord. And we know that it's true all over the planet, Lord, that your kingdom is, is 
right now. It is not some forgotten premise, Lord, but it is active and is living and is growing and is breathing, Lord. And we just pray a blessing over the ministry in Albania, Lord. We, we pray a blessing over the ministry that is, that is happening here. We pray for, for all of our sakes that, that you would speak openly and freely tonight, that you'd move my flesh out of the way and that we would hear your words, Lord. We would hear your heart and that you would encourage us to a place of understanding that we would grow closer in proximity to you, Lord, that we would be able to, to see the things that you see and hear the things that you hear and know the things that you know. It's a call to discernment. It's a call to action. It's a call to surrender. So, Father, help us to surrender tonight. Open our hearts to hear your word. In all these things we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. My goodness, guys, you ever like read the Bible, you're going through something, you're struggling with something or, or like, and, and it just, you just open it up and you just kind of laugh. You're like, of course. <laughs> and you're just, you're just like, oh, the Holy Spirit just moves and, and you're just reading something. Like we talked about the Bible is the only book that you don't read it, it reads you. And when the Holy Spirit is active within you, it calls to mind the things that you're going through directly right now. And I won't go into complete detail of what I'm going through, but man, a dagger in my side conviction, right? Knowing that, that I always operate from a place of cynicism. Let me, just, let me just say, I'm a cynic by nature in my flesh. Like things are just going to go wrong, people suck, and I'm just going to judge them accordingly. Like that's not a healthy mindset, Right? But, but to judge others, and, and Jesus, say, Jesus says specifically, to judge others, don't, don't judge others in the same way that you want to be judged. But the world uses this as, as like a, just a free-for-all, right? Don't judge me. Let me do whatever I want. The thing is, is that Jesus doesn't give a universal acceptance of any lifestyle, right? He calls us to show unconditional love, but he doesn't call us to show unconditional approval. Because there's a standard by which and God wants us to live. And, and the world has a standard, right? That's why people go to heaven and they go to hell. I'm going to make that distinction, which a lot of churches today would not make that distinction, right? They don't want to go there. They don't want to draw the line in the sand. But there are people that are going to hell and people that are going to heaven. And they are judged according to his righteousness. So Jesus is saying, because we have a tendency to be self-righteous. And when we're in that mode of self-righteousness, it's easy to cast stones. It's easy to look down. It's easy to, to point the finger and say, yeah, you're a sinner. But the thing is, is that there's a time and a place for us as Christians to call out other Christians and to call out sin and to, to speak truth, right? But the way in which we do it is important. The way in which we interact with people is important. Because as Christians, as teachers, as the church, as the bride of Christ, when we're not teaching scripture, the entirety of his word, we can quote unquote love people straight into hell. If we accept every sin, every lifestyle, every, every bent that makes people feel accepted and loved. Loved is such a complex word in the English dictionary. The English vernacular does a terrible job going into how complex the love is. And there are multiple loves even within scripture, even within the Greek, even within the Hebrew. There are different understandings of what love actually is. But I know in 1 Corinthians it says, 
very specifically, and, and maybe some of you guys know this or have heard this or have been to a wedding where they recite it, but verse 13, or chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians is, Though I speak with the tongues of men and the angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a cleaning cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Christ-like love is more complicated than just accepting. Because specifically it says it rejoices in truth. It rejoices in truth is long-suffering. When we love people in this world, we've we got to be committed to loving them even when it's uncomfortable. Even when things get hard, even when they disagree with us. God has called us to love in such a way that, that brings them to an understanding of his word, his ideals, his righteousness. But it can never be from a place of our righteousness. It can never be from a place of condemnation where we're pointing the finger, right? It comes from a place of knowing that we have to love people where they're at, but also bring them truth. Love without truth is messy, and truth without love is condemning. And so it's up to us to have this responsibility as believers to bring both. To bring both. When we're serving people, when we're loving on people, when we're encouraging people, we have to not stray away from the truth, but rather bring it to the table with an understanding that I want you to live forever with the king. I have the cure to your illness in this life. There is only one cure. There is only one way to the Father. It's not every road leads to heaven. There is one way to the Father, and that is through his Son. Because Jesus earlier in this passage, in, in, in this sermon, says you have to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Is anyone among you more righteous than them, according to the law? And no layman, no fisherman, no one in the crowd could, could say, oh, I'm not more righteous than them. They live the law. They breathe the law. They are the law. And Jesus says, there is a way. And it's through my blood. But only through my blood. But recognize when we use judgment to condemn people, we're doing a disservice to the kingdom. We're doing a disservice to the kingdom. Even, even the disciples got it wrong, right? Even the disciples got it wrong. Do you remember when Mary came to, to just give uh, the anointing oil and, and wash Jesus' feet? And she did it out of, out of worship, and she did it out of admiration, and she did it to just show her love to Jesus, and, 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 and the, the disciples essentially rebuked her. They judged her. Why, why would you do that? You could have fed so many people if you sold all of that fragrance, all of that oil, But the thing was is that Jesus said she had done a good work that will always be remembered. 
that will always be remembered. We're still talking about it today. Always be remembered. But the thing is, is that when we judge people for their actions, oftentimes we do so unfairly. Because we always want to judge people from a place of authority, right? But then we're, we're getting judged ourselves. we want grace. <laughs> we want to be judged by our intention, not necessarily the action that played out. But when, we're, when, we're, when we got the, the beat on somebody else and we know that they're in sin, we got the gotcha moment, we want to judge them based on their actions, not necessarily their intention. Right? We have this idea that we know what is right and we think, and, and this is coming from a place of me being candid. When I judge others, because I am known as the no man on staff. <laughs> when any situation comes up, when there's a, a thing that we're going to do, like I am the first person to say, no, absolutely not. <laughs> or, or engage with someone, whatever the situation. It's just no, because I know what it requires. And, and I just, I have the ability to see how everything could go wrong. And that comes from a place of hurt. That comes from a place of things not going my way or, or the way that it was planned when I was a child. It, was, it, was, it comes from a place of hurt. But as you, as a Christian, are developing in your spiritual growth, you have to admit your weaknesses, admit your struggles, admit your hurt, and let God work through them. Because we break this command when we think the worst of others without even getting them an opportunity. We break this command when we only speak to others and their faults. Like we know what they have a tendency to do, so we're just gonna judge them for the things that they have done wrong in the past. So, so we're just gonna call them black sheep. We can never use them again because of the things that they've done in the past. We can judge an entire life by one mistake. And we write them off. They can never serve the Lord. They can never be used in the kingdom. You ever been there? You see somebody in their nakedness? You just have a hacksaw and you're just bam, 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 bam. You wicked person. <laughs> Jesus is calling to mind to have an understanding that you are just as wicked. We are just as wicked. It's only through Christ's righteousness and his blood that covers our wrongs. We even get into the mode where we think that we can judge people's motives. We can judge their intention. Oh, they're only doing that to get exposure. They're only doing that to gain popularity. They're only doing that right now because they want to be seen by the pastors doing X, Y, and Z or whatever the situation may be. And you start judging people because you think you have a beat on the way in which they operate. You ever been there? You see that person and you're like, that person is a wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> that person. And, and maybe you're right. And maybe you're totally right. But the thing is that we have a call to be discerning. We have a call to slow to speak, to be slow, to be <laughs> quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And recognize that the anger of man does not complete the righteousness of God. When we consider ourselves in the same circumstances, don't we want to be dealt with in grace? Don't we want forgiveness? We've all sinned and fallen short. But we want to be dealt with in 
accordance to our intentions. That wasn't my intention to hurt that person. I, I know that I did. I know I said those things. I grew up in a home where there was just words that were just vomited out. I didn't, I didn't mean the things that I was saying. It was just to, to hurt the person a little bit, but then, then we would just get over it. And it was just, it was a broken, fragile home, and we fought incorrectly. You want to see the, the nakedness of your life and how wicked you are? Get married. <laughs> it will expose the things that you struggle with. It'll expose your sin. If you don't know how to fight healthily, like there's a good way and a bad way to fight. I am not a good fighter. <laughs> but the thing is, is that God is calling me to a discipline and understanding that I can't treat my wife like the way that I was treated when I was a child. And in the same way, you can't treat others the way that you have been treated. You cannot judge others the way that you don't want to be judged. Because we operate a lot of times out of our hurt, out of our experiences out of what has been done to us, and then we can justify the things in which we do in this life because we've been wronged or we've been hurt. We say stupid things and we do stupid things, and it's like toothpaste, right? I've said that before. Once it's squeezed out of the bottle, you're not getting it back in. It's already out there, and it just makes a big mess. And recognize that there's a call to discernment which Jesus wants us to live in such a way that we are slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to get angry. How about when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, caught the woman in the act of adultery, and they brought her into the temple and said, Jesus, what do we do with her? Talk about judging. Talk about hypocrites. And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Those that are without sin, throw the first stone. And he kneels down on the stand and he just starts writing. We don't know what he was writing. There's a few thoughts about what he was writing, but it was to the effect that everyone in that room, everyone that wanted to, to catch Jesus not knowing scripture or not knowing how to handle a situation, they all saw what he was doing. They recognized his heart. They all felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they walked out. And he said, go and sin no more. The heart of the father was for the woman that was put on display. Heart of the Father is for the ones that are broken. Verse 3 And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye? Look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I, I love this about Jesus because it's, it's kind of hilarious, right? Like, no one is actually walking around with a plank in their eye. They're not walking around with a four-by-four four stuck in their skull, right? Like, like literally, he's, he's, he's saying how ironic it is because, because you are full of sin, but you see the sin or you see the mistake of someone else, and then you're just, you're just going after them, and you're saying, how dare you do this? How? But there's, there's no validity, right? If you're that person that you're in a workplace, and you're just visceral, and you're gossipy, and, and you're just angry all the time, you walk around with just like a cloud over your head and you just want to hurt somebody. And, but, but you're a Christian, but the thing is you just kind of wear your heart on your sleeve. 
and then you see one person doing something wrong, and then you just go after them? Is there power in your testimony? If you're carrying around all this garbage for, that everyone sees, when you're saying, look at this person, look how wicked they are, this stupid little thing that they do, and it's, it's a speck in comparison to the plank that's in your eye. And what happens, specifically when you're in a deep relationship, like a marriage, let's just say, and there are problems that are going to happen, the thing is, is that we have a call to righteousness unto the Lord and submitting unto the Lord on our own. You see something and you see someone else in their nakedness and you want everything to be their fault, but then you don't take an accounting of everything that you're doing wrong. You're saying, see Jesus, see what she did. See Jesus, see what he did. Look how wicked they are. And you're like, huh, <laughs> you got this giant boar sticking out of your head. And it's this call to understanding that you need to take care of yourself and your heart before the Lord first. Don't worry about them. Jesus has the ability to take care of them over here. Take care of yourself before the Lord. What aren't you surrendering? What aren't you repented for? What, what are you holding onto that is getting in the way from you ministering to that other person that you have a problem with? See, Jesus is just getting to this, this irony. And, and they don't have this understanding. This was mind-blowing to them, Right? Everything was eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth and it's justice and you did this and this was what happens, right? That is, that is the law. And then, and then men took it even a step further and they had this whole cacophony of all these different crazy laws that you had to adhere to in order to be holy. But Jesus is getting down to the bare bones of what the law's intention was and that was for the condition of the heart unto the Father. Don't judge other people if you don't have the ability to judge yourself and take an accounting for the things that are going on in your life. God is totally capable of judging the people around you. The other churches around you, the other leaders around you, the friends and the parents. It is not our call necessarily to judge them. To call them to accountability is a different thing altogether. Specifically the ones that call themselves believers, right? And there's a way in which to call people out, scripturally, right? To go to them, to go with a witness, to go before the elders, and then if they're still unrepentant, then you actually cast them out of the body. So, and we can go into that another time, but recognize there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, and this is what Jesus is getting towards. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. But I'm telling you right now, if you have a problem with somebody in your life, are you taking care of your side of the street? Are you looking to surrender unto the Lord? And, and regardless of what is happening to you, regardless of how you've been treated, regardless of the speck, and maybe they even have a plank in their eye too, but that's not your responsibility. The responsibility is your eye. The responsibility is your sin. Are you surrendering it unto the Lord? Verse six, do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast the pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet. And turn, tear them into pieces. Jesus also reminds us that he didn't mean to imply that the people of his kingdom are to suspend all discernment. There are going to be people that are against the kingdom. 
And specifically here in this analogy, the dogs and the swine of this world have no intention of being part of the kingdom. And so to administer and to tell people the heavenly truths and what Jesus is talking about here before them is going to be for nothing. It doesn't mean not preaching the gospel. It doesn't mean telling them about salvation or talking about Jesus or living out your faith. Somebody's saying here, but there, there are some truths have an understanding. It is not worth that time for you to explain. But it is our responsibility to be marked by our compassion, our forgiveness, our understanding, but also truth. This is my line. I'm not going to cross it. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I'm sorry. I'm not going to give in on this one. I'm not going to water down my faith in order for you to be comfortable. I love you so much that we might not have relationship or friendship anymore because I want you to see how seriously I take this. And sometimes God calls us to remove ourselves from those people. It's a hard lesson to learn. And God calls you to draw that line in the sand. But here's the comfort. No one's salvation rests on your shoulders. Because the conviction and understanding is a working of a heart through the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to live out Christ in the way in which we operate, in the way in which we speak. the responsibility of their salvation as hard and as close as you are to that person doesn't rest on your shoulders. You're called to plant the seed. You're called to water. You're called to live according to that, that word. But the salvation portion is up to them. And sometimes cutting off contact can be a bigger moment of testimony than ever trying to water down your faith in order to love them where they're at. This is a hard truth. This is a difficult truth. But recognize we want people to not just live comfortably on this earth. We want them to experience heaven with the Father. Sometimes that takes us getting out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we have to go to a season where we're not talking with that person. We love them so much and we have to draw the line in the sand. It's not to be judgmental, it's actually to be loving. I love you so much, I can't be around you anymore. I can't support what you're doing. I, I pray for you and I want you to be in my life, but I can't be around it anymore. I'm sorry. And you pray for that person from a distance. You pray that God brings about people in their lives that are gonna bring them to a place of understanding. And then God, with all his might and knowledge and power, brings about reconciliation to the person or the, the people or the family that you thought could never come back. And that's the beauty and the power of the gospel and the, the power of God's heart. I got a whole lot of people in my family that I don't talk to and it breaks my heart. But I know that God's bigger. 
I know that God is in the business of building bridges. Even when I don't partake, I'm not swinging any hammers. I'm not pounding any nails. I'm not bringing in the logs. I got nothing to do with that bridge. But somehow God brings them back around. And that's what I'm praying for. And you see, he goes into verse seven. He said, ask it, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened to you. There's a reward for seeking him, for seeking his heart, for praying unto him. You seek an answer, he's going to give it one way or the other. He wants our persistence. He wants our focus. He wants our heart. We're not persuading him to do our bidding. He's not a genie in a bottle that we just pray to and he just does on our command what we want. It's having an understanding that we have the ability to see the things that we're encountering through his perception. God wants to move on our behalf when it's in accordance to his will. And then when we find ourselves in alignment with his will and we're praying what he wants, and what we want, and he acts upon it, there's nothing sweeter than God-fulfilling prayer. There's nothing more fulfilling than seeing the fruit of the prayer in which you prayed and say, God, you are good. And it's not because I prayed it. It's because you did it, Lord. It's not by my actions, but I just want to be in alignment with your heart. I'm knocking on the door. Doesn't that indicate that there's a barrier between you and God or you in that circumstance, that there's resistance and he wants you to keep knocking on that door? He wants you to keep going. He wants you to be persistent. He wants us to keep praying. Because eventually he's going to, eventually he's going to answer on his timing in accordance to his will. We have access to the throne room. What an honor that is, that the king of the universe would hear us. Something that I take for granted, I will be candid with you. I think some of us, if we're speaking honestly, take for granted that we have the opportunity and the ability to speak to the king of the universe and that he would hear our prayers and that he would move on our behalf, and that he would want us to see things from his perspective and his heart. He says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. You want to get closer to God? Draw near to him. If you feel far from God, and you're going through a season, I can't hear you, Lord, you feel so distant from me. Remind yourself, God is not the one who has moved. <laughs> You are the one that has moved away from him. And through obedience and surrender, you have the ability to get back into his presence. We get to go boldly into the throne room of grace and mercy. We get to go boldly before the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We should not take that for granted because it's not just a, he calls us servant. We're just not an acquaintance, we're family. You are a son and daughter of Christ and he hears you as a father. What man is there among you that if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? It's the illustration knowing that God is a good dad. He's a good father. And maybe some of us have a hurt in our heart when it comes to a good dad or a good father or what they should have given us or what we think they should have given us. And I'm right there with you. But I'm here to tell you tonight that God wants to heal that in your heart. And he wants to tell you, I know that there's brokenness in your past. I know that there is hurt in your past. I know people have let you down, but I will not let you down. I am always faithful. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Ask and it will be given to you. We come to him repeatedly, expectantly. We express our dependence upon him. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. That beggarly poorness. We cannot survive without his sustenance. We cannot survive without his daily bread, without his living water. We cannot survive without his word. I want to be completely 100% desperate for him. I do not want to operate from an understanding that I can do this life on my own. I want to be completely dependent on Christ crucified, him working in my life. Some people call Christianity a crutch, man. I am fully handicapped when it comes to the gospel. I cannot survive another moment without Christ. That is the dependency I desire. That is the surrender I desire. That is the surrender I desire for your lives. And when you're asking and you're, you're seeking and you're knocking, you're showing your dependence upon him. You're aligning your heart with his. And when you align your heart with his, he's going to want to give you what you're asking for because your heart's and souls and minds are in alignment with the king. And he's a better father than any earthly father that has ever lived. Doesn't matter how poor of a father you had, non-existent father you had, or how great a father you had. God is better. He's a better giver. He knows you more. He knows every thought that you've ever had. Not, not only every hair on your head, but every atom in your body. He knows you from the beginning of time. He knows you and called you by name. That's a good father. That's a good king. That's a good dad. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You see, we're getting to this place of interacting with the world. And we're getting to the heart of the law. We talked about this last week. If you want to see change in the environment that you've been placed in, not to just run and tuck tail, maybe God is calling you to be that change. You've been called to work in a dark place spiritually. Maybe you're the answer to someone else's prayer. Maybe you're the light to be shown in that darkness and it's going to be hard and uncomfortable. Yet God wants to do mighty things through you by loving on these people and you're just chucking seeds. <laughs> I said it before, you're just chucking seeds. That wall to that person's heart might be a mile wide. 
our responsibility is chuck those seeds. <laughs> Doesn't matter how impossible it seems, God is greater. God is bigger. He sees things that we can't. Love them where they're at. Bring them to a place of understanding of what truth is. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Oftentimes we think of this verse, and many of you guys have heard this verse before, but we think of the gate as the destination. We found that narrow gate. We're not on the broad way. No, 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 the narrow gate. No, no, no. this is the entrance to the path. <laughs> this is not the destination. I want you to recognize that you've got to enter by the narrow gate. You have to enter by the more difficult way. This is what God calls us to. Being authentic Christians sold out for Christ is a hard path to take. It is taking the higher road. There's a right way and a wrong way. Jesus was talking to these people that had an understanding of Jewish law and culture at this point. There is a right way and a wrong way, and one leads to destruction, and one leads to life. Some of you guys know my testimony. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a broken home. Three major churches, three major scandals with all the head pastors. By the time I left for college, by the time I made it through my senior year in high school, I was jaded by organized religion, and I wasn't afraid to say Christians suck. <laughs> I said, if the pastor is the pinnacle of what a Christian should be, why would I want to be like them? They can't even stay faithful to their wives. And so I went off into obscurity when I was 17, into college life, and I lived for myself. And I lived like hell. I knew it was wrong, but I didn't care. I got Jesus, man. That's all I need. No accountability, no structure, no community. No one pointing me to truth. No one holding my feet to the fire. No one sharpening me. I thought I had it all figured out. I was judging and casting stones and then living like a total heathen on the side. But I got invited by a pretty girl to a church that met in the basement. There was 15 other people there. I went for the girl. <laughs> and I stayed for Jesus. That girl wasn't even a believer. But God used her in that moment. And the pastor that night. And it was just clear as day. It was like the Holy Spirit drew back the bow. And funk, that arrow just hit me square in the chest. He said, there's someone here tonight that knows the path of righteousness but is on the path of destruction. And you have a choice. One is going to lead to your life and the other is going to lead to your death. You ever been in those moments where it just feels like the, the preacher is just talking right at you and your face just kind of turns red and you're like, You tell him about me or <laughs> you ever been there before? But I knew in that moment, man, it's like my blood and my face went cold. And I said, Lord, I know you're after me and I'm sorry. 
My mom is a mountain of faith, of righteousness, of, of surrender unto the Lord, but I recognize that her faith was no longer gonna save me. I grew up in a Christian home. It might've been a broken one, but it was a Christian home nevertheless, and I was always in church. I knew what to say and how to say it. I knew Christianese backwards and forwards, all dialects. I knew how to present myself well. But on the inside, I was rotten. And I gave my heart unto the Lord, recognizing that God doesn't have grandkids. Your parents' salvation is not an umbrella for you to live in for the rest of your life. That you have to have your own relationship with Jesus. You have to have your own accountability before the Father. You have to have your own conversations with the Father, with the King. And that night, I chose life. I wanted to be closer to Jesus. I wanted to know Jesus for real. It wasn't about the pastor who was bringing the word, it was about my relationship with Jesus. And everything else was my school. Every, every book I read about the Bible, every Bible study that I went to, every church service that I went to, every worship session that I was in, it was all teaching me about his heart. It was all molding me, sharpening me, encouraging me to get closer to him. But it came at a cost. It comes at a cost. But there's no better way to live this life than to choose that narrow gate that few find. It is harder, it is more difficult, but man, it is worth it every single time. And I'm encouraging you all tonight to say yes to Jesus. Genuinely, beyond anyone else's purview, beyond anyone else's viewpoint. It doesn't matter who else is in the room. It's between you and Jesus. You are naked before the throne of grace. God sees all of us inside and out. And you either know Jesus or you don't. There is only one way through the Father, to the Father, and that's through the Son. And I want you guys to know the Son. I want you guys to have a relationship with the Son. I don't want you to just talk about it. I want you to be about it. I want you to be the Christians that are dangerous in this world that you have a weight in your presence because you are so filled with Jesus when you walk into a room that people take notice what is different about that man, what is different about that woman. Why are they so full of joy? Why do they not hate the way that we hate? Why are they not visceral the way that we're visceral? Why do they not judge the way that we judge? There's something different about them. Yeah, they're full of Jesus, man. It's just oozing. <laughs> I just want to be so full of Jesus. And I said it before you take a bite out of me and it's just Jesus, baby. I want to be so dependent on him that there's nothing else. And I'm not there yet. I'm trying to get there with every fiber of my being. And sometimes I have bad days, but God's faithful even when we're not. But there's no better way to live. You want to have an exciting life you want to have an epic life? You want to have a life worthy of remembering? Say yes to Jesus. He can do incredible things through you. And he wants to do incredible things through you. And what a blessing, what an honor it is that he chooses us in his plan as it's unfolding.
He could do it all on his own, but he wants his children to participate. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word knowing that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, Father. And even when we mess it up, your grace is sufficient. We know that there's, there's, there's no situation beyond hope, but we pray for the relationships in this room, the ones that are broken, the ones that are desperate, the ones that seemingly are beyond repair. We, we, we ask for restoration. We ask for reconciliation. We ask for healing in Jesus' name, knowing that we're pursuing your heart so that our heart reflects more of what you look like Father, I pray that you would restore the relationships in our lives. And in the moments in which we're praying to you, when we're, when we're away, when we're in our car, when we're in our bedroom, when we're falling asleep at night, and we're talking to you completely unrestricted and we're just completely candid with you, I pray that you would bring to mind the people that are seemingly far. That you would bring to mind the people in which the relationship seemingly has no hope for restoration. And I pray that we would start to pray for them by name. That we would start to pray for those family members, those friends, those coworkers, whoever it is that you're thinking about right now. I pray in Jesus' name that we would pray for them. We would keep asking, we would keep seeking, that we would keep knocking, that we would be relentless in our pursuit and asking that you would have your way in their lives, Jesus, that they would have an understanding of who you are to be able to experience the freedom that we experience in our knowledge and relationship with you. We ask for healing in this room and reconciliation. We ask that it would be part of the testimony of this church that this church and this ministry and these people would be marked by reconciliation, Lord. That they would be go-getters, they would be build bridger, uh, <laughs> bridge builders in this community, Lord. And their hearts and heads would be set on fire for your kingdom. And all these things we pray, amen.